Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Bets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champions. Here's the one-two pitch. Check him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. Milner has the ball. Picks to McGraw. It's over. The New York Mets have won the tournament. The New York Mets have won the tournament. The ground ball quickly is a fair ball. It's by Buckner. Down the third night. The Mets will win the ball. He's struck it out. Struck it out. The Mets have won the World Series. 2-1 delivery. Roman Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. Mike Piazza and the Mets lead three to two. To left field. Floyd. And after running rough shot over the National League, the Mets have a title to show for it. 2006 National League East champions. Here's the payoff pitch from Familia to Fowler on the way. And it's in there. Strike three called. The Mets win the pennant. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, March 18th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Hope everybody's doing well. About 10 days to opening day, another edition of the podcast. And today, we bring you to the backfields of Port St. Lucie. You're at that time of the year, more so than even last week when we had our buddy from the New York Post, Mike Vaccaro, on. You're at that time of the year where the storylines are getting repetitive and you're really you're ready for the season to start. You're ready for some real games. And things have transpired. You have a pretty good feel of who's going to be on the roster. But uh, today, we're going to bring a MetsmorizedOnline.com contributor, someone new to the show, Jacob Zweiback. Jacob had a chance, and he also writes for a site called ProspectsLive.com. But Jacob did a great job taking video and spending some time and shadowing a longtime veteran pro scout in Port St. Lucie, uh, get a feel of the scouting experience, and also look at 
not only a couple of Mets prospects, one obvious one being Peter Alonzo. This has been the spring of Peter Alonzo, but also get a chance to see guys like Seth Lugo and Robert Gazelman and Brandon Nimmo and and really take a, a, a harder look at various members of the team and get an idea of what scouts are seeing and, and what they feel and essentially, you know, the game behind the game is what I would call it. So Jacob Zweibach will be joining us in just a couple of minutes and we'll get a chance to follow up on a piece that he wrote over at MetsmorizedOnline.com called The Scouts Look, Mets Big Leaguers and Backfielders as he had a chance to go around Port St. Lucie. Now, where are we at here? Uh, not a ton of news, uh, but some things uh, are, are kind of uh, simmering over here as we head to the final 10 days of spring training. Uh, first, let's look at the roster and uh, that final spot with the pitchers. Now, with Drew Smith uh, out, Tommy John surgery, he would have been one of my favorites going into the season. Uh, at one point, it was thought maybe the Mets would take eight relievers. I don't see how that would work now. All along, you've had Diaz, Familia, Lugo, Wilson, Gazelman, and I thought Avion would have made the team, and he's pitched every bit as one who will make the team as the uh, second lefty. Even though Wilson's a crossover, uh, you need to have that lefty specialist, and Avion will do that. So that that gives you six. Uh, Avion needs to be added to the 40-man. With the release of T.J. Rivera, they have that. They have 39. Avion will be added to the 40-man. That's a go. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. You have one more spot for a reliever. And after Tim Peterson's poor performance today, I know that there was a lot of talk about Peterson uh, being a favorite, and I, I don't dislike Peterson. Actually, he's a guy who's who doesn't really walk a lot of guys. He's around the plate, which can be a good and bad thing. Good if you can relocate, bad if you you, you can, because then you get clobbered like you saw today. But between Tyler Bashler, Kyle Dowdy, the Rule 5 pick, Ryan O'Rourke, uh, the lefty, Peterson, Hector Santiago got lit up yesterday, and Daniel Zamora, you have some kind of uh, an interesting situation here. And all things being equal... I think if you really believe, and only the Mets can answer this, only guys like Mickey Calloway and Dave Island and the Brass can answer this, if you believe Dowdy has some potential, that you can work with him and make him into something, guy who throws mid-90s, and you think you can hold that spot for him, that you have enough, and I do think in a bullpen where you have guys like Gazelman and Lugo that could go multiple innings, you can, for the first time, and I, and I hate for a team to be contending to be holding a Rule 5 spot because it's so hard throughout the year. But all things being equal, O'Rourke, Bachelor, you know, guys that, you know, Santiago, all these guys, well, Peterson's already on the 40-man. Zamora's on the 40-man. Uh, Santiago has to be added. I think the fact that you have guys on the 40-man, and Dowdy's one of them, makes me wonder if he can get up uh, with the team and maybe continue to improve. You put him in a situation where he's a long guy. Maybe you put him in spots where he can't really hurt you, where you're up, down, you know, big in one way or the other, depending on the situation. Uh, you know, and, and look, if it doesn't work out, you could always uh, send him down, offer him back. I think you might lose him if he has potential. But as the season starts, this goes for any roster move. I think it's a lot harder for teams to adjust once their rosters have been set than it is at the end of spring training where there's still some kind of maneuvering. So all things being equal, Bachelor, Dowdy, O'Rourke, Peterson, Santiago, Zamora, all really haven't pitched all that well. O'Rourke actually has pitched pretty well, and he'd be another lefty coming out, and that's an interesting idea. But the fact that you really have to, and I'm checking the uh, the 40-man right now, and O'Rourke is not 
Uh, as I see, no, O'Rourke is not on the 40-man right now, so he would have to be added. I think that's a negative for him. Uh, I think that Dowdy gets the nod because of the Rule 5 stature and the Rule 5 status, and I think that that's uh, where the Mets will go. So I think uh, Dowdy makes the club now uh, more like he backs in because of a situation where they don't want to lose him. Now, with the rest of the roster, we've been talking about this all uh, spring. Uh, now that the Mets have an extra uh, pitcher, that they, you know, the slot that would have went to the pitcher, they're not going to be taking that uh, individual. They don't, they're not going to be taking eight. They're only going to be taking seven. Um, then that leaves it open to, okay, is that the Peter Alonso spot? Is that the Devin Mazzarocco spot? Dom Smith, has he hit himself into a spot now? Because, uh, you know, is Frazier going to come north? We don't know. Is Lowry going to come north? I'm assuming Frazier and Lowry do not come north, at least for the first week which makes me think J.D. Davis is going to make the team, which makes me think that Echeverria will make the team, which makes me think that um, Echeverria may stay on the team because Lowry's not your typical shortstop, uh, which also makes me think that because of those two and because of the extra spot that you're going to see uh, Dom Smith, uh, J.D. Davis in for Lowry, Dom Smith in for Frazier, Alonzo takes the extra spot, and I think at that point, Mesoraco is the odd man out. You need the flexibility of third base. I'd love to carry the third catcher. Now, what does that mean for Mesoraco? Does he get exposed to waivers? Does he ask to, I don't know the, the status of his contract. Uh, but the long and short of it is I think Darno is uh, going to be given every opportunity to stick on this team, stick as a backup. And, um, and with his bat being a little bit better, I think, a little bit more potential than Mesoraco, I think Darno is a better fit. I know DeGrom likes uh, throwing him as a Rocco. I know they liked his um, his energy and what have you. But when it's all said and done, very hard to carry three catchers right now, especially with the way Dom Smith is hitting. Uh, and, and we'll see you know, how this all goes because um, if they're not going to play every day and with the way Alonzo's hitting uh, and with uh, you know Smith probably ticketed for a backup role, do you want him continuing to come off the bench? See, I don't really have a problem with that. I think we overrate that where everybody gets crazy these days. Oh, you know, young players got to play. What do you sit him on the bench? Now, this happened before. Young players have been brought off the bench and spent a year or two in the big leagues before they got a shot, and it didn't kill them. Uh, so I think that's really where you're down to, just a few storylines. It'll be interesting which direction the Mets will go. Uh, I, I I really, it's a toss-up for me. I'd love to have Mazzarocco as a third catcher. I'd love to keep him on the team. But right now, I think, uh, you know, Dom Smith has certainly uh, earned his um, his way onto the team. And I'll tell you what, if they don't take Alonzo north, short of him being injured or, I mean, I just don't know what performance reason they would have for not bringing Alonzo north. They're going to look bad. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. Mickey, uh, both Mickey Calloway as well as Brody Van Wagenen have talked about it's important for players to earn their way onto the roster and, and about culture and not bring Alonzo North. would would Forget about the fans and the media. Who cares? Because they're going to be members of the media applauding it because it's going to save the Mets. And it's going to be a good uh, sabermetric move because of the service time situation and allow them to have a story for a couple of weeks because that's always what the media wants is a good story. Forget that stuff. Uh, it'll be more what kind of messages that send. It sends that the Mets are really no better than the words that they say, and they're not taking the best 25 guys north. So that's where we stand with the roster. Let's take a quick break. When we return, let me comment quickly on some of the proposed rules changes. I have some mixed thoughts on a couple of them. 
And we'll get more Talking Mets podcast right after this. Before we get to all, all the, the rules changes real quick, let's throw this out here. The collective bargaining agreement expires December 1st, 2021. So that, that's for the next three seasons. And one of the main things that has been agreed on is that Major League Baseball will not implement a pitch clock for the next three years. And remember, by rule, because they had proposed it last year, and if you propose it 12 months later, they could have implemented, Rob Manfred, the commissioner's office, could have implemented this. I think Rob is a deal maker and okay. doesn't want to implement without the agreement of the players so I see this as a kind of like is it a an olive branch a peace offering it's something clearly the players did not want kind of shoved down their throat so they've stepped back the commissioner's office found areas where there could be agreement where the union is in synchronicity with them and now again can they continue in a more peaceful fashion to move forward and find some common ground on the financial issues, which would be radical. They've never opened the CBA during the life of the CBA for significant financial matters. Right, we're going to be with you over the next hour, so we're going to take our time here as we walk through the rules changes for 2019 and 2020. So let's start with the interesting rule changes here for 2019. So first off, inning breaks. Uh, local games, the inning breaks are going to be reduced from uh, two minutes and five seconds to two minutes. National games, the inning breaks are going to be reduced from two minutes and 25 seconds to two minutes. Now, obviously, this is subject to discussions with, with broadcast and partners and the commissioner's office retaining the right to reduce all breaks to a minute 55 seconds in 2020. All right, so now you, you saw this last year. They put up a, a specific number of mound visits. It was six in 2018. Well, they're going to make a slight tweak here. The maximum number of mound visits per team will be reduced from six to five. You think maybe it didn't have an effect, but basically you saw about a little more than half the number of mound visits per game last year as we had the year before. This is a biggie, the trade deadline here. The 2019 rule, the trade deadline is going to remain on July 31st, but that's going to be the only one. Trade waivers eliminated. Players may be placed and claimed on outright waivers after July 31st, but they may not be traded. So we're, we're going to delve into that one coming up momentarily, but let's continue to flip through uh, the 2019 Rule change. This was interesting, and this one I think is going to get the fans uh, hyped up and involved a little bit more in the All-Star voting. So the voting is going to be conducted now in two rounds. There's going to be a primary round. Clubs will nominate a player per position, three outfielders, of course. They're going to be voted on by the fans, and then they're going to create an election day, late June or early July. The top three vote getters at each position in each league, and of course nine outfielders, they're going to be voted on by the fans during a set time period. And the bonus payments to players advancing uh, to Election Day, uh, they're going to be made as well. And, and there's one more a tweak here uh, to the All-Star game. And this is a couple of – here's an extra innings rule in 2019. So each team's going to start in the 10th inning and have a – and then each subsequent inning, there's going to be a runner on second base. And so there's going to be re-entry substitutions allowed for the runners. The prize money for the players on the winning All-Star team, that's going to be increased. And also, ah, this one's interesting too. There's going to be some prize money added to the home run derby as well. The total prize money increased to $2.5 million. But how about this? The home run derby winner is going to receive a million dollars. Keep in mind, I mean, Aaron Judge won this thing. At that time, he was making far less than a million a year.
Alright, we're back, and earlier in the week, or earlier last week, Major League Baseball announced a bunch of changes for the 2019 and 2020 season that uh, both the MLBPA and uh, MLB have, I guess, agreed upon, and I guess some of it is still to be negotiated, especially the stuff for 2020, and uh, most of it I'm okay with, and what's funny is that for so many years, especially those of you who have been listening to me for a long time, going all the way back to the you know, the days on WGBB or, you know, my old NYBD blog days and that podcast. I've always been about progress and progressiveness with in how baseball has lacked it. I mean, if you remember, I mean, this was a league that used to decide home field advantage based on a coin flip. It used to drive me crazy. I remember how they used to justify that because, well, we need to book hotels. And it's like, come on, guys. And you're the most po- one of the most powerful leagues in the world, one of the most powerful unions, and you can't solve things without a coin flip. And sometimes you look at baseball and you see how the NBA and the NHL and football have all evolved, and in some cases maybe they've evolved to video game levels, and you know, that's another debate for another time, and we've talked about this, but um, change has to be made. And the, tra- the changes that really have happened uh, or are going to happen this year I really can't argue with it. The, the decreased mound visits from six to five—no uh, big deal. Innings breaks going down, you know, about five to twenty-five seconds, depending whether it's a national or a local game. I don't think five seconds is going to make a big deal locally. Twenty-five seconds certainly could make somewhat of a deal uh, in the national game. I think at some point, because of uh, the way that the world is going. And attention spans, maybe you do some screen and screen stuff with uh, uh, commercials. I, I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know how people would take that. But if you could get it down to about two minutes in between innings, that's about 18 to 20 minutes of breaks for a nine-inning game. And then you hope that you keep it about two hours, two hours and 15 minutes or so with the rest of the game. I don't think you get it to about 245. I think that's where people are really looking at it. You know, could you get games down to 240, 245? Uh, that's probably as optimistic as it gets with the way that the game is, with the chess match that has become hitters really working counts might be tough. So anyway, whatever they can do to decrease the uh, the inactivity of the advertising, I know that pays the bills at some point. you got to say to yourself, are there other ways to satisfy those broadcast partners without going to the same commercial 32 times? I mean, that's a whole uh, other conversation. Uh, the trade deadline. I have no problem with them making it a hard deadline on the 31st. I think that's going to make that day very interesting. I think there'll be a ton of activity. It'll also force teams to be in or out much earlier. And with the fact that the wild card and the two wild cards keeps teams in, probably some teams could be in until mid-August now. Even teams that are on the peripheral may not really have what it takes can consider themselves contenders in a year where there's a lot of parity with the second wild card. So I think that's really cool, and that uh, puts a sense of urgency. I could see why they didn't put it to August 15th. That's when I have been proposing for a while to put it to August 15th, because you also may have the undesired effect where teams are like in it, but they're afraid that they're really not contenders, and they'll say, you know what, let's, let's, let's fish and cut bait here. You know, Let's be done with this. And you might get another couple of weeks of competitive baseball, and then August 15th they could do whatever they have to do to unload 
veterans or what have you. I always think you want to have, till August 15th, as much competitive baseball as possible because at that point, August 15th, those cities will start looking towards football, towards hockey, towards the NBA. You can justify their baseball season ending August 15th. That gives you as much baseball for a non-contending team or a team that doesn't make the playoffs as possible that you you know, you know suck as much out of the oranges, uh, so to speak. So I'm more for moving that to the 15th of August, July 31st, and the way they did it is not bad. It'll be really wild. I'll be curious how that uh, comes about. The voting for the All-Star Game, making it uh, you know with bonus payments and a, an election day, that's for young people. I could care less about that. I grew out of All-Star Games a long time ago. If that's going to grow the game with a younger generation, home run derby and all that stuff, give the money to charity. That's all good stuff. Have no issues with that. Now, 2020, that's where things get interesting. Uh, injured list, moving from 10 days to 15 days, the, back to the original 15-day DL. I think it got a little silly how they were bringing guys up and down, up and down uh, with options and putting them on um, the shuttle. And for the Mets, it was Vegas last year. So these poor guys, they, there's no home. I question if it's a good practice because then players really can't get settled. I think it affects performance. How many of these shuttle guys really had good seasons last year? Not many if you look at the numbers. And uh, I think that that's something that teams should just look at without having a rule put in place, but to what they're really doing to a player when they really are so nomadic like that, especially when you have a situation where they're shuttling from one time zone to another. That's been solved with the Syracuse affiliate, but you know that's a Met problem. Other affiliates don't have the same uh, issue. But in, anyway, I'd love them to do a study at some point. I guarantee you these guys that get shuttled up and down, up and down like that don't have good seasons. I don't think it's really good for them at all. Uh, the the uh, the active roster provision, uh, no problem with them limiting it to 28 in September. You know that's that's normal. It got a little wild with the different uh, how you know the amount of players. It's fun in one way, especially if you have you're in a race and you want to you know get a, a designated pinch runner or not worry about switching uh, you know every other batter and things like that. You know you, you want to win games here, and if you have players that are specialists. That does make it for a little bit more uh, excitement if you're that team, but it also makes for some really bad baseball. Uh, I also think adding an extra spot, that probably solves the issue you have with the shuttling of players up and down. We talked earlier in the open about third catcher and Dev- Devin Mazzarocco. I think that would you know make it easy. You, you could carry three catchers, and, and the 26th spot, you're throwing another union job back to the Players Association. Maybe not a high-paying one, but again, 26, uh, you know, 30 teams, half a million or so dollars for each player. You throw more money into the, uh, the union pot. That's always something that uh, is going to make the MLBPA happy. So I have no problem with that. 28 players, 26, uh, uh, you know, man roster, 28 active in September. No problem. Now, uh, the qualifying a two-way player, that's fine. I think things are getting stupid right now. Um, uh the legislating who can pitch, who's not a designated pitcher, or things like that, it comes a little across a little video gameish to me or softballish to me. But if you feel you have to do that, I'm not really uh, upset about that. We saw way too many position players being thrown in for white flag situations or situations where I think sometimes managers are just trying to be too clever by a half. Now the one that's got the most play in terms of the media. And I think the one that's going to be the most controversial is the one which you have to do the three batter minimum starting next year. And I'm really torn on this because in one way, uh, I've seen articles over on MLB.com where uh, 
you know, some people are saying, you know, this is just bringing it back to the future. This is bringing it back to where it was. Uh, you're looking at a situation where back in the 80s you had guys, you know, forget about the goose gossages of the world and the Bruce Suters who did multiple inning saves. I mean, think about some Mets pitchers, guys like Roger McDowell. Uh, you know, even if you look back when John Franco was uh, earlier in his career, would be able to go more than an inning, uh, maybe not two or three, but more than an inning uh, on on saves. But uh, Mike uh, Petriello over at MLB.com uh, talked about how this is really just bringing it back to how it used to be. And why are we getting all upset? And I don't really disagree with that. What I guess my big part here and where I'm trying to maybe un- accept I guess that's the word I would use, except, is that for the first time now, you're really changing the game and the rules of the game. And that's the part where baseball was the last sport that was pure to what the rules were in 1930. The, you know, and, and look, there has been some changes. I know the mound change in the 60s and all that stuff. So there, it's not like it hasn't completely changed, but this is the first time where you're, you know, you're not, you add a strike or you add elements like this, the three batter minimum, you've changed the game forever. Now, you can always go back, but in however long you have it, you've changed the game forever. And you've changed players' careers. I mean, lefty specialists might be done for good. Jerry Blevins is Luis Avion, and we have to see how does he perform against righties. We talked about him making the club. Does he even get a, a, an opportunity? Now, the Mets are positioned well with this with guys like Robert Gazellman and Seth Lugo, but really, when you think about it, this, to me, is going to change bullpens. It's going to um, change the dynamic of these teams. Maybe it requires them not to carry as many pitchers, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You get more position players and, and not have to get into these games where you have pitchers pinch hitting. I know you had some really bad scenarios. We had position players pitching, pitchers pinch hitting, Relievers hitting, there's a lot of odd stuff that started to happen with the way the game was going. And I understand it. I don't know if this is necessarily going to speed things up. I also think you have a right as a manager to pitch situationally, especially when you get down to the nitty-gritty. And uh, if you're a lefty and you can't hit lefties, well, learn how to hit lefties. Maybe go the other way. Do some things. Um, I, I like things to organically work themselves out, and I do believe the two issues like the excessive reliever use and the shift are things that organically would work themselves out after really excessive use shows that there's really no benefit to it. And all it takes is one or two managers to do something different, and you'll see everybody copycat it. But I'm not going to go crazy if it stays. I know that there's some talk that it may be negotiated out, and I know that the Players Association will probably look at the impact it will have on a certain class of relievers, i.e. the lefty specialists. It's really left-handers that are going to be impacted by this. Um, but to me, that's where I have to wrap my head around that I might be having the hardest time with it is the three batter rule. But in general, kudos to baseball for really looking at its sport, trying to find ways to make it uh, more viewer-friendly, progress with the times. It's a long time coming. It's something that I don't think would ever have happened to the Bud Selig. Um, Rob Manfred has tried some different things. And it's better, especially with the All-Star Game part, it's better to do things that appeal to the fans on a carnival level versus what they try to do on the ceiling, which is force some action with the All-Star Game with that nonsense you know, home field advantage in the World Series, which to this day drove me nuts. It was like a, a, a league that a sport that's not progressive all of a sudden gets too progressive and gets stupidly progressive at the same time. They still do coin flips at that time for home field advantage, but 
they, the home field advantage is determined by the All-Star game. Figure it out. So, anyway, uh, enough of this. Let's take a quick break. When we return, let's go to the main event. We had a chance to uh, get to the backfields of Port St. Lucie. Jacob Zweiback of MetsPrizedOnline.com is going to bring us there and talk a little bit about his experience down in Port St. Lucie and some of the players he saw up close with a big league scout that gave him an opportunity to spend some time with him. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets m-e-r-i-z-e-d online.com and get mesmerized today we're back and joining us uh, had a chance to uh, get down to Port St. Lucie and hang out a little bit on the backfield Contributor at uh, Metsmerized Online, also Prospects Live, Jacob Zweiback. He's joining us, the real Jay Z on uh, Twitter. That's real R E E L. Jacob, pleasure to have you on. Welcome back from uh, sunny Florida. How you doing? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing well. Back in uh, my hometown of Phoenix, Arizona, now where I'm a law student at Arizona State, and uh, you know, getting to see. The Arizona Cactus League spring training games now. So you had, like I was saying in the open, you had a chance to not only get in the backfields of Port St. Lucie uh, covering the Mets for MetsMorizeOnline.com, but you were able to shadow uh, a veteran scout, which not many people get a chance to do, and it it really gives you a perspective of, hey, you know, what do these guys look for? What's their take on certain players in the team? So I'm not sure if this is the first time you've done that, but for those in the audience that have never had that opportunity, talk a little bit about, you know, your experience and you going in and then I guess walking away from kind of the the way that or the lens that these particular individuals look at the game. Yeah, well, I've been very fortunate um, as far as having a mentor and a professional scout working for a major league team. So I actually met this scout way back in, 2017 at the Arizona Fall League where I was doing a lot of coverage on prospects there and uh, we hit it off so I've gotten to shadow him several times over the past couple years both in Florida last year for a week in spring training and also uh, at a Columbia Firefly series last year so I think one of the really interesting things getting to actually see a scout's process is is seeing the, the different styles that different scouts have so um for instance, my mentor is someone who doesn't like to go in to seeing uh, players for the first time with a ton of outside knowledge. So to make give you a specific example, this year on the Mets backfield, you had Francisco Alvarez, their uh, top uh, international amateur signing from the summer. So a lot of 
people and certainly on the media side where you need to know which people to write about. You might go in knowing what Francisco Alvarez's signing bonus was and it was, you know, up around $2 million. But um, that can really bias you and make you look for the player to be good and kind of try to convince yourself the player is good. So in this case, uh, uh, my mentor did not know that. I did because I had already looked. But so you get to kind of look at the player fresh. And in Alvarez's case, we both ended up liking Alvarez a lot and seeing why he got that kind of bonus. But with the young guys, I think uh, scouts are really focused on projection, not just how good is Francisco Alvarez or how good is Ronnie Mauricio right now, but is this someone who seems like physically has a lot of room for maturation? In Mauricio's case, you know, I think he's close to 6'4 at this point, doesn't turn 18 until April, and he's going to gain 20 pounds or more of muscle. So you can see him, you know, the potential downside is he might not be a shortstop long-term, long term, but the huge upside is he could be a serious power guy. Other prospects, while they're good right now, they don't really have much room to develop physically. They're already maxed out, as scouts say. So those are some of the really interesting things you see scouts focusing on. And you mentioned Ronnie Mauricio. And with all the talk about Jared Kelnick going to the Mariners and the Cano deal and he was obviously on everybody's radar because he had just been picked. Mm-hmm. There was video on him. Um, there was a feel because of some of the highlights and how quickly he burst onto the minor league scene in pro ball. I think people got themselves fooled into believing maybe he's a little bit closer than he really is. And and the feeling is, well, the Mets just traded away, you know, one of their only, you know, top level prospects, which with a lot of the lower level, you know, international signees, you just don't know. I mean, uh-huh. that's going to develop over the next couple of years. But Mauricio is a guy that's starting to get some buzz, even in the mainstream media, who's always the last yeah. one to pick up on a lot of these prospects. And you had a chance to, to watch him, you know, 17 years mm-hmm. old, like you mentioned, six foot four, a big guy, I believe uh, lefty uh, swinging, if I'm not uh, mistaken, and right now playing shortstop, but, you know, potentially could be a corner infielder. So that's the guy that seems to be uh, potentially – the reason why giving up Kelnick, although they don't play the same position, might be a little bit more palatable in the long run. Yeah, yeah. The um, That Cano-Diaz trade was really interesting. I had a lengthy write-up at the time for Prospect Live on it. And, yeah, losing Kelnick, I think, for Mets fans was really tough. The, especially, you know, there are some similarities with him and some earlier first-round picks like Nimmo and Conforto, particularly Nimmo being another straight-out-of-high-school first-round pick from a unusual location because Nimmo's from Wyoming and uh, Kellenick from Wisconsin. So not on the typical high school circuits. So while that was, that was a really big loss for sure. And of course you have to give up value if you're trying to get players like Cano and Diaz um, who can help the team a lot this year. As far as Mauricio, yeah, he's got a lovely uh, lefty swing. He also is he's a switch hitter. So he bats right-handed too. And um Especially with young switch hitters, sometimes you'll see a situation where they look really natural and elegant batting from one side. Um, uh, and then the other side, they'll look a little stiffer and kind of rigid, and it doesn't seem as natural. Um, in Mauricio's case, he's smooth from both sides. I got I uh, put up on Twitter video of him batting left-handed, and someone even said, probably an exaggeration, but said, like, oh, my gosh, I'm – it reminds me of Cano a little bit. So uh, he certainly does have that 
that kind of languid elegance to a swing and kind of effortless power. Again, you know, he's only 17, so it's not like you're looking for him to have a Pete Alonso-style batting practice where half of his swings are over the fence. But uh, Mauricio cleared the fence plenty and also had a few opposite field uh, homers and doubles in batting practice. So, yeah, I mean, he's incredibly toolsy. I didn't get to see him in all the ways I would have liked just because it was still kind of early in spring. So didn't get to see a ton of him facing live pitching and having to make tough defensive plays at short. But I got a great feel for how he moves. And the guy that big, uh, for him to be fast and really just coordinated uh, is impressive. So, yeah, as you say, he's popped up on some top 100 prospects lists uh, this spring. And he's one of those guys that I think the Mets intentionally protected in the several trades they made this offseason. Jacob is why back with us, MetsMorizeOnline.com. Jacob uh, had a chance to go down to spring training and uh, go in the backfield with a pro scout and wrote a nice piece over at MetsMorizeOnline.com about it. Jacob, it's been the um, the spring of Pete Alonso, and yes. at this point, it'd be hard for the Mets not to bring him north, and the only excuse would be, hey, we're looking to basically keep him an extra year of control and It'd be a financial reason, a very controversial topic right now with all that's going on with the Players Association and what have you. But uh, mm-hmm. with that, has there, not everybody has been sold on Alonzo. I've seen some scouting reports out there that say, well, he's not, he's still not really where he needs to be defensively. Um, he's not going to hit consistently. Remember, this is spring training. What happens mm-hmm. when the fastballs aren't being grooved in and, and guys aren't working on things, but they're going to be actually trying to get you out. Um what was the take that you guys saw? Uh, you know, everything has been glowing. Um, mm-hmm. Everything seems to check out the work ethic. Uh, is this a lot of Mets marketing and, and all of a sudden he's going to turn into a pumpkin when the, when the bell rings? Uh, let's say Pete Alonso makes the team a real good bet. Um, you know, can you at least get 20 home runs, 270, maybe 250 to 270 batting average? Can he, can he provide some right-handed pop that I think this lineup sorely needs? So in one word, absolutely. Um, there, there's, there is plenty of hype around New York prospects, both for the, both for the Yankees and Mets, where you see someone's tools kind of overrated, whereas someone playing in, I don't know, Pittsburgh or San Diego as a minor leaguer isn't getting as much attention. That happens, but I think Pete Alonzo, uh, I myself have a sixth grade on him on the scouting system, which is good everyday first baseman. Um, and I've gotten to see him now both in the Arizona Fall League in October and here at spring. So I'm starting to have a, a pretty solid picture and sample size with Alonzo. And, yes, I think um, he has premium power. If he were to – even if he actually doesn't get called up till three weeks into the season so that the Mets can get one extra year of him under contract when he's 30 years old, <laughs> way down the road, but teams are oftentimes thinking – kind of big picture long-term with these moves. Even if that were the case, he gets called up at the end of April. I could see him certainly hitting uh, 20 to 25 homers. And I think it's a real possibility that he could hit 30 home runs in the bigs in 2019. Uh, Certainly not a guarantee of that. And as far as his batting average, um, I could see him hitting anywhere from 230 to 260 this year. I, and the big thing I want to highlight with Alonzo, though, is that he's not just a slugger. Um, he has a feel, especially with two strikes, 
for change, uh, making an adjustment, getting on base. I had some really nice footage of him facing the Nationals, facing uh, their reliever Henderson Alvarez and also uh, Mark Grace. And with two strikes, he would look to use right field. Even uh, with two outs in the ninth of the spring training game, he basically reached down on a perfect low and away pitch and just poked it out for a single. If he's trying to hit a home run like a lot of sluggers do, he's probably just going to strike out there. So I see in Alonzo's prime, I could see him hitting 270. He's not one of these sluggers I worry about uh, being at the Mendoza line, batting 200. So I think he's very good, and I think uh, he's one of the most exciting, certainly spring training storylines for the Mets. But I also just think since Lucas Duda uh, back in you know 2015 having a good, healthy year, I really think they've missed that first base production. So I think he's huge for them. You mentioned in your piece one of the best swings you saw, and it's from a player that I think may be a little underrated, and I've never always been a big fan of his. I never thought he'd amount to anything. You mentioned him earlier because he comes from an unorthodox state where you don't typically yeah. play baseball all year long, and uh, you, you don't necessarily think of prospects coming from but it's Brandon Nimmo. But i got to tell you, Brandon Nimmo, and maybe it's just one year, and I'd like to see him go around the league a second time, if he can produce similar to what he did last year, very quietly, that's a top 20 in baseball, maybe top 10 outfielder when you com- combine everything, the power, the on-base, all the things. I've heard he's made a little bit of, a, uh, of strides defensively. I don't think he's going to be a great defensive player. I don't like him in center field, but he works hard. He's got a great attitude. Uh, there's the guy that you said you had the best swing you saw in person, and there's a guy that may be – a huge key, kind of the energizer bunny to this offense in a way that uh, Jose Reyes was, in a different way, but in a similar, in some cases, as Jose Reyes was once upon a time. Yeah, I think uh, because the Mets season last year ended up being disappointing, I think a lot of uh, just kind of casual baseball fans missed out on the fact that uh, Brandon Nimmo had a 404 on base percentage last year. That is right there in that elite tier of very few players um, are able to do that. In fact, last year, uh, only seven players in all of baseball had, uh, amongst qualified players, had an on-base percentage over 400. Nimmo was uh, two minute percentage points above Christian Yelich in that category. So, um, and we've seen solid power from Nimmo. I, he's, he's not a Conforto who, you know, Michael Conforto has – 35 home run potential. Nimmo's not in that class, but he can give you 20 home runs. And when you're getting on base and hitting a lot of doubles, and as a corner outfielder playing good defense, I agree with you. Um, I think center field, while he can, you know, kind of hold his own there, I think he's really a corner outfielder. But, yeah, and watching him, as far as getting into the details of his process, he's got this really wide stance you kind of can appreciate the flexibility for that watching in person, just how he gets really low, almost it's a little bit kind of like a left-handed pool hole setup and prime pool holes gotten this really low squat. And for a lot of guys, you think of if you get really wide, it's harder to generate power. But I think uh, for Nimmo, he's so coordinated and just kind of dropping his barrel uh, through the zone and he'll have a little launch angle in his swing. Um, uh, yeah, he, he really uh, controls the strike zone well, has a great eye, and then can do damage on pitches. He gets on base, but it's not like he's only trying to 
slap singles. We see the extra base ability from him. So, yeah, I mean, he's huge for the Mets this year with not having Cespedes for at least half the season. Uh, I think Mets fans are hoping for for big-time production from both Nimmo and Conforto. Jacob Zweiback, MetsmarizedOnline.com, joining me. You can check him out over at MetsmarizedOnline.com. Recently had a chance to go into the backfield and watch a spring training game, shadow a pro scout that he knows. Uh, Jacob, I believe you actually even worked for the Mets briefly. Is that correct, as I was reading your Yeah, book. I did. Yeah. Um, I, after I graduated college in 2016, I uh, moved up to – I was living in Brooklyn and commuting to uh, City Field every day, and I was working – in their game-used memorabilia department. So every day we'd have, uh, you know, all the game-used balls, bats. We'd be kind of going by the players all the time because we're down in that tunnel, doing signings uh, with players. Personal highlight for me was working with David Wright on a signing where it's, you know, three or four employees, David Wright's there, spend an hour with him signing, you know, hundreds of items. But then you end up just having a great conversation for an hour and as everyone knows, uh, David Wright is just the friendliest, classiest guy. So it was a great experience working for the Mets and also uh, got to meet uh, people like Sandy Alderson, who was uh, the GM at the time and uh, as, as all Mets fans know, but uh, had some great talks with him. And actually recently, last week, got to see him out at Arizona Law School where he was speaking. So great experience. And yeah, the, the culture in my window into the team was great. Had a really good experience. We talked about the hitter that maybe he's not talked about and, and can make a big impact. Here's the pitcher. Everybody talks about the starting rotation. We know about the big three. Yeah. Matt has a lot of potential. And I think Vargas will hold his own. But Seth Lugo, who I call could mm. be the Andrew Miller of the Mets, the guy that can bridge, you know, your starter only wants to go six innings or, uh, you know, Vargas has a bad outing. You know, this is a guy that could go two innings. Does it matter this year, but going forward in 2020 might have an impact with the rules, the minimum three batter rule. Uh, you had a chance yeah. to check out Lugo down low. There may be at some point, especially if Vargas or Matt or any of these guys struggle in the rotation where if Lugo's pitching well, there may be calls for him to be in the back end of that rotation. Cause I think he's shown, especially in 2016 that he can hold his own. Uh, he was big down the stretch that year and helping them get to the postseason or the one-game playoff, uh, talk about Lugo, because I think he's another one that's a real key to this bullpen and a workhorse in that bullpen, and he can provide a lot of value. Yeah, and for Lugo, the the ability to go multi-innings is big for him. I think he deserves a lot of credit. In 2018, um, there was a stretch where he did go back into the rotation in June um, and and was solid for the Mets. I think, you know, he had a – a few rougher starts in Arizona and Colorado had a phenomenal start against the Yankees where he went six innings, two hits, no locks, no runs. So I've noticed a lot of these guys who can do both relieving and starting, if they have their role changed in the middle of the year, oftentimes that seems to throw them in a funk. And then even if the guy goes back to the pen, he'll struggle. Lugo did a nice job for the Mets filling that role and then went back to the pen later in 2018 and did well there. So as far as what he does uh, at bat by at bat, we all know about the high spin curveball. Statcast has his curveball as having more uh, rotations per minute than anybody's. Um, and the nice thing with him is because of that starter background, he has four legit pitches. He started to use kind of that classic Dan Worthen slider that most of the Mets uh, 
prospects come up throwing. And he throws that pitch, you know, high 80s, 89, sometimes 90 miles an hour. And he's got a good feel for a changeup, too. Um, we've met fans have seen when Lugo comes out of the pen, he, he throws hard up to 96, 97. And I actually like uh, the two-seam movement when he throws his two-seam slash sinking fastball. Some of the other scouts uh, in the scouting section thought that pitch was a little flatter. So I guess it's uh, kind of a point for debate if you want to focus in the next time you see Lugo pitching. Does it seem like he has good two-seam movement like I saw, or does it seem like maybe not as, as strong of a pitch? But I think when you've got a plus-plus curveball and you're throwing pretty hard with command and you can mix in a changeup and slider, yeah, I think we've got the Mets have Diaz and Familia back. I think Lugo is uh, just as important as Familia for the Mets in 2019. Staying in the bullpen, you got a chance up close to see Edwin Diaz. And he was, I think, the Cano deal. That's the guy that's going to make the difference mm-hmm. because he gave up a top prospect. You were going to take on Cano's salary in a vacuum. That's not why you give up a top prospect. But, look, Diaz works out. He gets to the postseason. You're very competitive with him. If it doesn't work out and you're not good, you're going to be able to flip him and get some value for him and maybe get just as much, if not more, depending on – where you're at and where he's at in terms of the contract situation. So I think he's going to be key, but you know what? Let's think positive. Let's think he's going to contribute to the Mets here for the long haul. Uh, Juris Familia has had some really good years out of the Mets bullpen, but Diaz, I think based on what you saw, the electricity in that arm, uh, this is going yeah. to be something that Mets fans are really going to like. Yeah. There's been some great kind of Twitter gifts of, uh, of Edwin Diaz's mechanics going around lately. And he has a really distinct delivery where on his, on his plant foot, his left leg, he really kind of snaps it forward before planting and driving off. So he's creating just an insane amount of torque. And then when you get to see him live, both behind the plate, but especially if you have kind of a, a uh, third baseline view of uh, Diaz, it's just amazing how quickly his arm moves. You hear a lot about arm action, and sometimes I think pitchers who are good, people just say they have great arm action, even if that's not really why they're good. In this case, it really is just a whip-like electric arm. And uh, I think Diaz's fastball plays up even more than the 97 to 100 miles an hour he's throwing. I think it jumps on you even like it's 99 to 102 miles an hour. Um, and it'd actually be really interesting to look at spin rate to see if that's part of what's happening there. But yeah, he just jumps on you with his fastball. And then his slider is elite, just tremendous downward uh, tilt on his slider. And he'll also get some horizontal movement too. I caught a video of him throwing, uh, he was facing a left-handed batter and he threw a slider that started way off the plate away and then just just cut in and caught the outside corners and just froze the batter for a called strikeout. So yeah, Diaz, whether you want to look at the scouting side of what he does or just look at the sheer numbers of 57 saves and over 120 strikeouts last year, and most importantly, not walking anybody. We saw a lot of good um, relievers this year, like uh, Adam Ottavino and Joe Kelly get paid well, but they might walk someone every two innings. Uh, with Diaz, he's only walking a batter every four or five innings. So I think that's huge for the Mets. And, you know, he's healthy coming into 2019, and he's been durable thus far in his career. 
crazy thing with him is he's still only 24 years old, and it feels like he's been, you know, dominating for several years in the bigs already. Yeah, and you get out of obscurity. Sometimes I always feel like the guys in Seattle, they jump mm. up on <laughs> you because you don't – the games are late. You're the furthest point in the United States that you could be without being in Canada. And let's face it, we're on the East Coast. We're in New York. The Yankees only play them six times. You don't pay a lot of attention to the AL West. And, and now you get a chance to see somebody who's uh, been in the league a while and been doing very well up close. Uh, we hit on a lot of the major points that uh, you, you brought up in your piece, but I'm curious, what, who are we not talking about? And, and I'm not saying maybe just prospects, but maybe there are guys at the back end of the roster. Are there other guys that Mets fans should feel good about um, that are going to contribute this year that maybe we're just not paying attention to? Maybe they're not going to be the, the core guys, but when you were back there in those backfields, you're like, this guy's going to help them win some games or – you know, this guy might be able to, you know, jump in and, and contribute on some level. Are there guys, one or two, that we're not talking about enough and they stood out to you while you were, uh, you know, going around Port St. Yeah. Lucie? Yeah, I think, you know, I think maybe the first guy I'd go to there is someone Mets fans know really well, but because of injuries have kind of maybe forgotten about some of his abilities. I'd go with Travis Darnot. Um I thought uh, – kind of watching the Mets at the start of 2018 and they had that amazing 11 and one run when Darno went down with Tommy John surgery, uh, which we, you know, we see this a lot with catchers. It just happened to Salvador Perez as durable as any catcher. He's going to miss all of this year. I thought that was one of the key factors why the Mets started to tail off um, after that great start. So, you know, Ramos is definitely the starter this year and he's one of the best hitting catchers in baseball, but I got to see Darno on the backfield, um, and I also got to see him in, in the major league games. I probably saw him four or five times in the week I was there, and the abilities that he's always had at the plate seem like they're back. So he'll need more repetition for sure, just facing more and more live pitching. But this guy creates a lot of power with his swing, uh, doubles and homers power. Um, going way back to 2015, you know, he had an 825 OPS that – uh, World Series year for the Mets, and unfortunately, for him in particular, but for a lot of catchers, just fluky, weird stuff happens. Someone does a questionable slide and takes you out, and suddenly you're on the disabled list for two months. But I think whether it's being the backup or if Ramos is, sees any disabled list time going in and starting, I think Darno, obviously with the caveat that he has to stay healthy, but I think that's a really good guy to have back with the Mets and also a great clubhouse guy who has come up with the cinder guards and the grants um, from the minor leagues and into those great 2015 and 16 seasons. So he's one guy. Um, and I'd also throw in uh, Robert Gizelman. Uh, definitely talk to some scouts who are really, I, I talked to a scout who sees Gizelman as a number three starter, which I think is interesting with him having pitched out of the bullpen only this past year. Um, uh, I'm not sure that I'd go all the way to number three starter with him just because it seems like Gizelman will have a great stretch using that hard sinker, but then it can kind of flatten out on him and he'll struggle. But I think that's another good guy as far as to your point about, okay, if some starters get injured, who can fill in? Gizelman could be uh, an underrated, versatile pitcher who could contribute as a starter or out of the pen where his, his uh, he throws harder and 
shows a nice curveball. I definitely saw some good curveballs from Gazelman uh, in, in spring. People forget that those two guys, Gazelman and Lugo, we mentioned earlier, were big reasons why this team made the postseason in 2016. And I know, and I've said this, I'd like the Mets to get another starter. I know Gio Gonzalez's name is still out there. Yankees seem to be in on him. You know, Dallas Keuchel, mm-hmm. I know those, those are big fish. And everyone's worried about the Mets' depth as far as after you go five deep. Look, you need to be eight, nine deep in this game. And there's the Corey Oswalds, and who knows if Hector Santiago, you know, goes down to the minor mm-hmm. leagues. But you have Gazellman and Lugo, and although Mickey Calloway has said they're relievers, and he's been saying that since Thanksgiving, that they're relievers, mm-hmm. it's good to hear that if they need to be stretched out or you need to do a bullpenning game, which, like it or not, could become part of this equation where you go three innings and three innings maybe with those two guys. The Mets have an opportunity to be creative, and they don't have to just throw out um, somebody that's going to potentially get clobbered, which has happened a lot the last couple of years. There's been a lot of bad starts where they're just plugging in a name, and those are just non-competitive games. You know, Tommy Malone, guys like that, just non-competitive from the start. It's good to to see that some scouts feel like these guys coming out of the bullpen that are going to be key parts of that bullpen could be more than that. Yeah, whether it's you mentioned Malone. We saw PJ Conlin called upon for a couple starts uh, earlier years. You know that the dice game Matsuzaka experiment. So yeah, that I think that's definitely been a place on the margins where the Mets have ended up giving away games in in the past few seasons. Um, and yeah, back to Lugo real quick. As far as the opener tactic that we've seen the Rays and then the Oakland A's use last year. He's really interesting to say the Mets are in a period where one of the five starters is hurt, so they want to use Corey Oswalt, but they're going into a game with a bunch of home run fly ball hitters on the opposing team. Maybe it's, let's just try out the Philadelphia Phillies. You're looking at Bryce Harper, Real Muto, Reese Hoskins are all going to be hitting in the first and second innings. Lugo could be a great guy that you go to to come out and give you maybe not even just one, but maybe give you two innings of premium stuff. And then you could go to Corey Oswalt, uh, who there's a lot to like about Corey Oswalt. Good command, uh, nice changeup, gets sync. And I, I noticed he was throwing harder in spring this year, so we'll see if that keeps happening. But gave up way too many home runs last year. If you could bring Corey Oswalt into the third inning of a game against the Phillies and maybe have him face the the seven, eight, nine hitters or the eight, nine, and then the leadoff hitter, and then only have to go through the best hitters once or twice instead of maybe facing a Bryce Harper for the third time where Harper's now really comfortable uh, seeing the ball out of Oswald's hand. That could be a great way to kind of put together a, a big-time start with two players, a Lugo and a uh, Oswald, or maybe you could do Gazelman to a Chris Flexen, whatever it is, I think. If Mickey Calloway wants to think outside the box uh, in 2019, I think he's got the weapons to do it. Before I let you go, I had talked in the open about some of the proposed rules changes, and I don't want to make mm. a big deal about them. Um, but, you know, I, I'm okay with the trade deadline scenario. Make it a hard deadline, the 31st. I, I'd like them to move that to the yeah. 15th. The mound visits don't bother me. The innings breaks. Less is more. Finally, maybe mm. they could do picture-in-picture picture at some point. Uh, the all-star game yeah, uh, voting, I'm okay with that. That might be interesting. Okay with them mm-hmm. expanding the rosters and limiting September. Um, and, you yeah. know what, increasing the injured list for 10 to 15 days for pitchers, it got silly with the up and down that uh, 
the 25th spot has created. Maybe that with the 26th spot, you'll see less of that. The one that I guess yeah. I'm still trying to wrap my head around is the three batter minimum. And I, I know there's yeah. been some articles out there. Well, you know, this is just going back to the future. This is going back. If you go back even to the early 90s, uh, 80s, you know, when I started watching baseball, late 80s, you know, guys like Roger McDowell just lose a name. Well, that's a guy that would go yeah. multiple innings. Um, yeah. You know, you're just forcing teams to go back to the future. What bothers me is now for the first time, you're playing with the rules, the rules that have been in place since pretty much the start. I'm not sure mm-hmm. I feel about it. It's not the end of the world, but uh, to me, when you start tinkering, and I know they've done it in the NBA, and I know that the NHL and the NFL, all yeah. that rules changes. Baseball is the only major sport that the game has been the game, whether it's 1973 for the most part, or 1993, or 2019. But uh, everything else I have no problem with. I'm progressive. Yeah. I mean, it's good to see baseball finally getting progressive. We go from the days of the coin flip when they determine home field to now this. Yeah. You know, maybe we're pushing it too far. Um, I know I threw a lot in there, but to wrap up, you know, there's a lot of news out of this, and who knows if it'll actually go through. We'll see, but uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, well, certainly it, it can be tough before you get to see it in place. For instance, when they took away the the four balls for an intentional walk and said you can just point and send the guy, that first part of me just like my, you know, it just felt weird and strange. And I was like, oh, and what about the occasional time when a pitcher is struggling to throw the four balls and like throws a wild pitch or accidentally leaves a pitch over the strike zone and uh, Miguel Cabrera on the Florida Marlins hits it for a double. You know, I, I was thinking in those ways. But then now that it's happened, it really – kind of keeps the pace going when you're in an intense playoff game and we don't all have to sit around for two minutes for an intentional walk and you just send that guy to first base and now, you know, Freddie Freeman's up ready to hit instead of waiting in the on-deck circle. So it's hard to say for sure with the three-batter rule. Um, I definitely understand it for more casual fans than you and I. You know, we obviously love baseball so much. We're willing to wait and see the next pitcher come in. I think with a lot of fans maybe it's a teenage kid watching the playoffs and he's into the game he's excited and then suddenly the manager calls in a lefty reliever and you wait around for three minutes that reliever walks the guy and now we call in a righty and you wait around another three minutes and suddenly I think there was a you know a 17 minute inning that I was reading about in an MLB.com article that was all just about the pitching changes. There was like two minutes of baseball and 15 minutes of pitching changes. So I see what they're doing. Um, I guess lastly, as far as the impact it could have is obviously some of the left-handed specialists who really don't have any tools against right-handers, that's going to hurt them because they could get exposed. On the other side, you have to think about the flip side. There are some really good uh some really good pitchers who don't really have a righty lefty split. They're just kind of good all around pitchers. Uh, Those guys are going to be probably more valuable because now you throw in a right-hander, even if you know he's going to face a lefty because he's got a good changeup and he can go after right-handed batters with his curveball and slider and then mix in the changeup to a lefties, a lefty. Whereas before he might've been yanked to bring in a Jerry Blevins to face that lefty. Maybe that reliever, and let's, let's go specific, I think Seth Lugo, for as long as he's in the bullpen, is someone who has tools to get righties and lefties out and go multiple innings, which 
we've seen kind of a lot of relievers just stuck in this one or two batter period or just one inning. So, you know, I think it'll be really interesting. I don't have all the answers as far as what exactly it'll look like, but it'll be interesting to see as maybe those lefty specialists have to adapt or find themselves out of a job. I also think you're going to see some unheralded relievers uh, get to shine a little more. So those are some of my thoughts on that. Jacob, so uh, the real J-Z-R-E-E-L, like a real with your videos on Twitter, prospectslive.com, of course, metsmorizedonline.com. What do you got coming up? Yeah. Anything else that you want the listeners to know about? I'm sure we'll hear more of you as the season progresses. I know you're out in Arizona, but you're following the Mets. What else you got going on? Yeah, well, um, after my week in Florida spring training, I have a lot of material up now going to uh, games in Arizona. I'll be at Dodgers Cubs on Wednesday, and I every game I go to, I take video and post that to Twitter, and then I'll also um, at Prospects Live, and uh, I'll have uh, more in-depth articles with my analysis, and then certainly um, as someone who's been really familiar with the Mets for several years, and I always end up seeing them play here at Chase Field, uh, certainly probably will have some more uh, contributions to Metsmerize. So I tell people, hey, uh, you know, follow me on Twitter, and you'll see a lot of articles every week. You'll see footage of both minor leaders and major leaders and uh, what insights I try to bring to the table. So, yeah. Jake, Jacob, it's been informative. Appreciate it. First time on the show. Let's not make it your last. We'll do this again. Okay, my friend. All right. Thanks so much, Mike. It's been fun talking with you. That's uh, Jacob Zweibach. Good stuff over there. Interesting to hear his thoughts. Get a chance to get into the backfield to Port St. Lucie with the pro scout, shadowing the pro scout. You don't get that often. Let's take a quick break. Final thoughts. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now that's Mets M-E-R-I-Z-E-D online.com and get Metsmerized today alright final thoughts I want to thank everybody for joining in hope you enjoyed that I thought Jacob did a nice job and really took us behind those backfields and behind home plate in spring training and, and talk about some of the Mets players in a way that maybe some of you aren't looking at them that way. Maybe you haven't uh, had that, you know, that experience being that down, down that low. And I think it's always interesting to hear the game behind the game. A lot of ways really diving into it. So I hope you enjoyed that. What's coming up. Uh, so uh, next podcast will be next week. I know that we've been alternating Sunday, Monday, kind of working through some schedules and some guests and what have you. I can tell you that we have a couple of really cool guests coming up uh, right around the, the first week of the season. I could tease that now. we got Art Shamsky coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. He'll be joining me. I'm really looking forward to talking to him about 
his book, After the Miracle. And uh, that's also what our buddy Eric Sherman, who uh, was on the podcast last year, he wrote the uh, – Eric Sherman, didn't he write the Davy Johnson book? I'm pretty sure about that. So um, also uh, Wayne Coffey, uh, who also wrote a book about the 69 Mets. They said it couldn't be done. He'll be joining me. And I know we've had Rich Catino, our buddy at ESPN 98.7, who's also coming out with a book. So the 50th anniversary of the 69 Mets will bring a lot of that talk throughout the year. Maybe get a little sick of it, but – We've talked so much about 86. We've talked so much about contemporary. I think 69 has been put in the closet, and I think it'll be brought out, like I said, one last time. And I think this 50th anniversary is that last time to bring it out of the closet, have some fun, remember. And for a lot of us, just like me, I wasn't around for those those times, and I didn't see a lot of those players. I didn't see any of those players, as a matter of fact, because they pretty much all were retired by the time I started watching the ball game. So... Uh, so, well, not Nolan Ryan. I saw Nolan Ryan pitch, but, you know, very young, too. So, you know, different point of view when you're watching as a 10, 11, 12-year-old than you do as a, as an adult. So, anyway, we're out of time. I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning in. We'll be back with more Talking Mids podcast uh, in another week. Of course, I want to thank our uh, friend Jacob Zweibach for joining us. You can check him out at the Real Z on Twitter. You can check out his videos of uh, his scouting reports and his reviews over down in spring training. Of course, I want to thank the good folks over at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week, 10 days before opening day. We'll be back with more Talking Mets podcast very soon. Take care, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line 
prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co. 